1: Hi, everybody. Tina Brock, Producing Artistic Director here at the Idiopathic Radiculopathy Consortium in Philadelphia. I'm your host for Into the Absurd, a virtually existential dinner conversation. I do hope you'll join us the next 50 minutes. Sit back and relax as we explore the lives, the hearts, the minds and the spirits of creators in Philadelphia region and around the world. Good afternoon everyone. Hello and happy end of July to you. Tina Brock here, your host for Into the Absurd a Virtually Existential Dinner Conversation, coming to you today from the set of Christopher Durang's Betty's Summer Vacation, which you may remember from uh, 2019. And Dirk set designed this set for us and he's here today to talk to us uh, not only about that, but his entire a career and many, many, many years of designing for all of the companies that you know and love here in Philadelphia and off Broadway. So thanks for joining us. And you can put your questions in the chat box and we'll get to them this afternoon. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, hello. It's been uh, just a little bit of a respite over the last couple of weeks, but we'll be here back for the next couple of weeks and during the Fringe Festival and excited to bring to you the voices and the creative minds of people in Philadelphia and around the country. If you're not on the IRC's mailing list, we hope you'll head over to the IRC's website and join up. We send out, uh, you don't want to miss any of our emails about who's coming up on the show. And you can also find us over on our YouTube channel at Idiopathic Ridiculopathy Consortium and also on podcast. So on today's show, we're going to talk about just a subject that is so just so intricate and necessary, important, just detailed for actor, for director, for everybody involved in a production. And I think that we don't often get the opportunity to go inside the minds of the folks who make these magical, wonderful worlds for us. So Dirk Durissette has been designing scenery, teaching design, drawing, and rendering for the last 20 years in and around the Philadelphia region and off-Broadway. And he's taught theatrical design at the University of the Arts, at Temple University, at Villanova University, and at Ocean County College. He's currently a professor, full-time faculty member in the design tech department at Rowan University, and he has his MFA in scenic design from Temple University. So Dirk said, welcome to the land that we all know and love, Betty's Summer Vacation House. (laughs)
0: Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: thanks so much for being here, Dirk. It gives me so many uh, wonderful memories to be able to sit in front of this photo because what you accomplished in this scenic design on a very little budget in a very small space over at the Walnut Street Theater and, uh, you know, the issues that had to happen with things coming through ceilings and doors slamming and all kinds of things, and We'll get to that just a little bit later, but it's fond memories, and I look forward to the day when we can be back on that stage and get that scenic design for two-character play up on the stage. <laughs> the goalposts keep moving for us. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, I wanted to start, um, I'm so intrigued with much of what I love. Uh, I see on Facebook a lot, you're doodling, you'll be doodling, um, and, uh, posting your designs up on Facebook. And it made me wonder if, uh, cartooning or comic book design wasn't in your childhood aspirations. And I wonder if you could speak to that.
0: Um, yeah, it was, it's fascinating that you, you said that and you, and you, recognize that. Um, I definitely wanted to be a cartoonist. Uh, it was a dream of mine. Um, I was a big fan of Mad Magazine. I used to collect them. I was probably a little young, maybe for some of the subject matter in it, but mm-hmm. my mom would always, you know, we were, and you could get them at the supermarket at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I'd go to the supermarket with my mom, I'd run over and grab the, the latest Mad Magazine. Uh and I guess it wasn't really the subject matter as much. I just loved looking at the drawings. I just loved the exaggeration. I loved the line work. Um, the the images themselves just made me laugh. Not really what was being said or what the, mm-hmm. what the text was. Uh, and I would immediately go home and try to draw them and copy them. And um, you know, for years, you know, as a, as a kid, um, I spent a lot of time. Uh, thinking about uh, Jack Davis and more Drucker and um, Don Martin. I mean, you know, they, those were my childhood heroes. <laughs> um, wasn't into sports so much, but I wanted to, I wanted to see their work. I wanted to, I wanted to be like that. Uh, I'd copy comic strips, um, lay out the Sunday papers and just try to draw it
1: <laughs>
0: mm. uh, and it really was. And, and I did. And I and there was a time I was actually like trying to draw some as a teenager and thinking, you know, maybe I should send these somewhere and see. It just. It was the images were funnier than what I was trying to say with the text or trying to make it. Mm-hmm. I just love the idea of the image, the funny image. And, um, and you know, I, I, I didn't pursue it, obviously, uh, as I got older and got into high school and I just stopped, stopped buying mad magazines. And, but it was always there in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until, you know, I became an adult and I started looking at some of the ways that I designed and and some of the ways that I draw. It's like I was, something got into my DNA at that young mm-hmm. age uh, with those drawings and, uh, and with that drawing style. Um, and I think it's fun too, because I, I think the idea of cartooning is exaggeration. And in a sense, I, I feel I feel that way about scenery. And I feel that um, it's it's an exaggeration of some sort. It's a it's another level. It's a heightened reality. It's better than real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and maybe I don't consciously think when I'm designing, think like a cartoonist. But I think that idea of um uh you know taking something that's real and elevating it um, came from that, I hope, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: And then do you think like, say for instance, this this set that I'm sitting in front of today, the set for Betty's Summer Vacation, um, in the design of that, given that play just pushes the boundaries of everything all of the way out, was there... Was there anything specific? How were you? How were you thinking about exaggeration in that design? If you can remember, that was a couple of years ago, and I sure,
0: sure. And I, I'm looking at the picture, uh, and I, I, you know, it's you try to do something that, in all design, you're trying to do something that's appropriate, the psychology that's appropriate to the play that you're doing. Like, what is it about the world that these characters are in that? What, what would support what we're watching? And so the, actually the first thing that came to mind in that particular design was color and um, you know, high value, high saturated colors, which might seem like you know, a formula for doing comedy. Yeah, it should be colorful mm-hmm. and, and all of that, but, um, th- there was no, but there was no color scheme. I just randomly said, I need the color here. I need a contrasting color here. And I really thought about it in chunks of colors and of course, the, the, the motif of this kind of sea foam seaside uh, color of the walls was kind of an abstraction of you know, playing around with, with the ocean and the sea. But then these really bright colors kind of just jutting out of the walls and, and coming right at you um, was, was the starting point uh, for that. So yeah, the exaggeration of, of color um, uh, was, a, was a big part, big part of that.
1: And what's so striking about it is the, is the juxtaposition of that against, of the brightness against the darkness that, that then played itself out, um, you know, exactly. on the stage. So you ended up going to Temple. And we were talking before the show, I didn't realize you were in the acting program.
0: I, as an undergrad in California, I was...
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. So as an undergrad in California, where did you go to school in California? I went to California State University Stanislaus. Um,
0: it's, in a, it's, a, it's a small town in Central Valley, California. Not small anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I went to school there as and went in as an actor. I actually was a music major before I did that. Um, I play the piano and I was studying music. Um, there was no way that I was going to be a concert pianist. There's just no way. Um, and why do you say that? I just, I just, it just wasn't. Was it just the,
1: it. I, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> right.
0: But, uh, and so, you know, all of the arts flow together and I uh, actually took a, an intro to, to, uh, introduction to theater course. As a general uh, ed requirement, um, when I was a music major, and um, we had to go on a field trip to San Francisco and see a play, <laughs> and that's that was our big city. Uh, and uh, we went and we saw the show. And uh, I had seen, you know, a few plays at school and uh, uh, seen some opera. And it was the first professional production that I had seen. And it was George Bernard Shaw's You Never Can Tell. And, um, you know, got good seats. or course, you know, a group of students uh, was sitting really close to the stage. So there was a certain intimacy and a certain immediacy. And breathing the same air with those actors, it was, it was a transformative experience for me. Um, and I thought, I want to do that want to get up on stage and do that. And I I did it. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. <laughs> but I uh, I started taking acting classes and auditioning for plays. So uh, I, I, I graduated with a degree in theater. Um, I It wasn't like a concentration in acting, but it was a BA in theater. And I had been an actor. I directed a show for my senior project. Um, and you know it was, and it wasn't like I thought I was going to be an actor. or wanted to be an actor, <laughs> um, uh, but I started working after that. I started working for the an Opera Company in um, in Modesto, California, uh, where I started stage managing, and I got to stay involved in the theater. And I still thought I would, you know, work and do plays around in that area, too. Um, And then I just slowly worked my way into helping with the scenery uh, and um, kind of just fell into being the stage manager slash scene designer, set builder, scene painter. And ended up doing that for quite a few years and ended up having a couple shows and a little mini portfolio and thought, well, what do I got going on here? What what could I... (laughs) You know what's the next step in this what's what's my next step in in theater in the arts in in, in creating mm-hmm. uh, at the time i didn't know that's what it what was you know burning inside of me it was wanting to keep creating but i uh applied for temple university well I, I went to auditions for several universities got accepted to several universities and decided to go to temple and i made the big move from california to to Philadelphia, back in 1997, and I've been here ever since.
1: Well, wow, that seems like a, it's a night and day, right, yeah. in terms of location or part yeah. of the
0: country. Just a few years, like I, I kind of found what felt right for me, um, and things that you know, and from that point mm-hmm. on, things have happened and gone pretty well, and I. Uh, um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I made all the choices that I made. Um, you know at the time, they didn't feel maybe maybe it wasn't right. What am I doing? Where am I going to be? Um, but I look back on it all now, and it's it's it was it was a good choice.
1: It sounds like you were really listening to the, you know, to just where where the river was taking you mm-hmm. as opposed to having a, a plan. Or, you yeah. know, ahead of time and
0: yeah I, that's true i didn't have real big plans i had i had maybe a, a two-year plan each year what's yeah. the next year are going to well, the next two years going to be like well the next two years after that going to be yeah
1: like? but isn't that know. so great because it just leaves you so open to your growth along the way and just something unexpected that might be there that you just never even considered before i think absolutely.
0: that's absolutely i mean i would have never ever ever thought when I was acting, I would be doing this. It's admit- a natural extension of it. It just feels like it feels the same. Uh, the 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 process, that sensation you get when um, you're starting a new project. Um, a lot of the sensations were the same, and uh, it, it felt at first it felt foreign. Now it felt now it feels pretty
1: pretty good pretty good pretty right yeah well the seeds of all of that are are found in each part of the discipline right it's just a question of you were speaking before the show about you know the introversion extroversion aspect of acting and and how that comes together and and i think it there's you take the things that you learn in one piece, it would seem to me, and you apply them in so many different ways. Do you miss it all? Um, I guess a better question is what from your acting that you learned when you were an undergrad, do you feel is useful for you when you are designing or when you are working with a director? Yeah, I,
0: I think the conversations are close to the same still. I think the conversation an actor has with the director are not far off from what a designer has with a director. Um, you're still talking about those essential things. And then there's a just different, they have different tools to do those essential things. And, uh, and the essential things, I mean, the story that we're trying to tell. And we're all part of that storytelling process. And uh, I, I think my discussions with directors when I was acting. Um, are a lot the same that I have with uh, directors today as a designer. I think a lot of mm-hmm. the words we use are the same. I think um, the process of thinking through a script is the same. I I do think I I, I do think about acting <laughs> when I'm reading. Um, I do think about the space. I do understand what it feels like to be on stage. Um, And, uh, you know, sight lines and getting through doors and knowing Mm -hmm. how the space feels. um, I think I could still pull from when I was acting. Maybe, I don't know. Um, But I I don't miss acting. (laughs) I don't think I'll, uh, there were times I thought, People are trying to talk me into auditioning here in Philadelphia for things, and it's just nothing I really
1: want to do.
0: I've thought about yeah. it, but I, I'm.
1: What kinds of shows? Give me some, some of the authors that you that you performed in when you were doing.
0: I uh, played Demetrius in *Midsummer Night's Dream*. Um, did a Voslav Hovel piece. Yeah, um, *Largo Desolado. Um.
1: And Chekhov was he in the mix? Chekhov, yeah. So, um, my God, could see that. Uh, shepherd, could see uh, that. Didn't do any sh- I didn't. No shepherd.
0: Oh, I did. I did cowboy mouth.
1: I was gonna say you did. I know a shepherd. I was, I was, I mammoth.
0: I don't think I did a mammoth.
1: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> like a very it. broad um, range of possibilities, both yeah, classically and
0: yeah. American Um, West yes Shepard
1: um, yeah yeah. definitely
0: Shepard is he was a that that little poet for all of us out in the Central Valley California he was Mm -hmm. uh, he was our he was our guy
1: (laughs) yeah there's nobody writes quite like he does about that about that space place people you name it I'm thinking when you were talking about how as an actor you know the conversations that you have as an actor versus the conversations that you have with a director but I remember when we were trying to solve the problem in Betty's summer vacation of the entire ceiling collapsing and you know what ensued after that and and the and, and working through that with the you know with the idea that you came up with and I remember really understanding even though i didn't know you were an actor at the time thinking he really understands how this has got to work for the actor because you have however many people jammed back there in a very small space and somebody's trying not to be seen and pulling on a rig and doing all these things and i remember thinking gosh dirk's either designed a lot of these you know low budget (laughs) shows in small spaces (laughs) or else he's quite an engineer which we knew but it now makes sense to me that that you know you under, and that's super helpful to understand what it's like to be out there to have to make a change to walk underneath a space to be seven people in a foot you know yeah. um, and also have to create a space where there were just so many slamming doors all the time. Yes, um, to be yeah, able it was to. Quite,
0: it was quite cramped, I remember. Um,
1: well, in that little that little window, the seat which I love the 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 wheel the ship wheel <laughs> window that the blues coming through right now. I think it's that window that we had to, yeah, we just had to crawl underneath to make sure that, you know, <laughs> which is just all part of the fun. <laughs> it's just all part of the fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes those confines help, uh, help a design, you know, yeah. if you, you know, I, I think, well, for myself, I, I really, I like I like to, I like to have confines. And I don't mean like solving a problem or like, I, I, I like a problem space. I just like to know that I can't do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and I mean, some people may say, well, no, you have to solve the problem. You can figure things out. Well, I kind of like, I like limits. I like limits in space. I like limits of height. I like limits of width. I, because then you can really mold how the design is supposed to fit within a certain space. And uh, you know, and uh, a lot of a lot of theater work I've done, a lot of theater work we all do, are in sometimes they're in buildings that weren't theaters to begin with. Mm-hmm. So those kind of confines are very interesting and very interesting challenges. in that you know, it's not a, a proscenium theater built for plays and built for performance. We're in converted buildings of some sort a lot of the time, and I really feel like you know uh, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> like being said, like being told, this is the amount of space you have, you can't do this. I, I like that, that um, mm-hmm. weird, but I, you know. No, I like, it, like, I mean, yeah,
1: you know, it reminds me of what uh, the filmmaker, Wes Anderson talking about, you know, he worked for so many years with just these very limited budgets and how he's working. And then all of a sudden he got, you know, a a, a huge amount of money of studio money to make another film. And it was almost like it went haywire, you know, it just, he's like, we don't, we don't work in this, in in this kind of, you know, this kind of world. I mean, are there, I mean, are there, do you work differently with a large budget than you do a small budget just in terms of how, yeah. Is it pretty much the same process? It's just you have X amount of dollars here in this space versus...
0: Large, yeah. Large budget scares me. And I'm not a minimalist at heart. I don't... I don't... I may seem like one to some people. Um, it's just uh, more money, more problems, I guess, sometimes. Sure. I would lo- mm-hmm. love to have a big budget show. I love being able to have a show where you can design, but not for the sake of designing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you can over design. I think there's something called designer greed. Uh, I think you can get away from the story um, just because you can. You can design big. So go ahead and design big. Um, You know, I, I kind of feel like my job as a designer is to disappear, like dirt disappears i'm gone <laughs> it's the work that's up there and and i think the best compliment i ever got uh someone at, at the end of the show said oh did you do this and i said yeah and they said well um i have to tell you after about 10 minutes i forgot it was there and
1: you're like hooray yeah we did it
0: <laughs> i did what, my co- you, what should,
1: do you remember the show
0: yeah i think it was um chicago i think i did a production of chicago at villanova almost 20 years ago i'm sure
1: (laughs) so do you do you feel like that 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 comment was that it's so well integrated in the storytelling and the actors were so comfortable on it and it just it just became they became one with the story and the set the
0: context of the compliment was that um I hope <laughs> yeah no it was that it was that it was it was like you know what it just um i just
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, it just it hopefully it fits so well that you forget it's there and i know you know some people like big broadway spectacle some people want the scenery to uh, interact with them maybe on a different level than some scenic designs do um but you know, if if it if it's psychologically fitting with the story that you're watching, then it should disappear, I think. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it works.
1: It integrates, right. If there's no trouble you like for the actors, if there isn't yeah. any difficulty getting through, getting over, getting under, yeah. beside it, if they look comfortable in it, if they if their personalities reflect it, then sure, I would say it's I'm sitting in Betty's summer vacation hey, vacation house right now, you know?
0: And then and then any, any exaggeration, anything better than real that's coming out of out of the scenery fits with that. So yeah, you know, you're, like there was opposing forces going on with with Betty's. There was it was dark comedy. The set was very comedic, I guess. Fit mm-hmm. a comedy in its in its high saturation of colors um but it's not a real space you know it's yeah maybe there. yeah I mean do you find lawn
1: lawn furniture in 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 your in your space but remember how we came to that decision which actually ended up I think really kind of working is that you know yes a couch should be there but for practical application right we just didn't didn't have it but it then set up this whole other joke of of when mrs. seismograph has way too much to drink and that thing moves it rocks back and forth so it then fed right into the comedy of it, yeah, it and so great. much fun to play on that's the thing as an actor like when it's when you feel at home on the set mm-hmm. and you feel like you own it it really I mean so so many words have been, have been written towards the actors, you know, feeling at home and feeling comfortable in there, but it really is a thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, that you know you can trust it, sure. that it's, that it's going to be there. And um,
0: yeah. Um, a lot in what goes on with that too is, um, and especially in this show, uh, is making pictures for the audience. And when you make those pictures, hopefully that work, looking at it from this side out, the actor will feel good because they know that they're in that. When you open that door and there's someone you know, here up left, there's someone down right, that picture that you make looks good from the audience, but it also feels good
1: with the actor. What's opening night like for you? Or have you solved problems hopefully by then? <laughs> uh, I mean, is it, are you nervous? No actually
0: never really feel
1: you probably don't get nervous though do you
0: uh i um the only time i the only time i get nervous is maybe the first time i show it to the director (laughs) some of those initial ideas it's not nervous it's just
1: like yeah uncertain yeah do i do i know right anxious yeah sure
0: direction
1: yeah anxious
0: yeah um i'm notorious about not going to opening nights sometimes
1: oh yeah and why is that
0: um i don't know (laughs) i just uh
1: is it is it like the the guy that you know or the it's my child up there on stage and i don't want to is it a little bit of that no it's not i just feel like you've done your work yeah i feel like i need to disappear oh interesting i'm just like i
0: Oh. Gone. i'm out of here uh i did Oh
1: wow it. i'm on the stage and in, in some way yeah, yeah my work is yeah. on the stage and, and i you... do i
0: mean i think i went to opening night for that show
1: yeah yeah oh. i i think i remember you being there yeah um, and...
0: and i do go to opening nights it's just sometimes i know sometimes i hear you I'm just tired
1: yeah well you
0: know, and sometimes i i seen the show so many times there have been times opening nights that i at the end of it, I thought, I just watched a completely different show than what I, than what I thought. Really? Why well, have I, you- I find something new in it and it's like, and I'll just secretly say to myself, I should have done it. Oh,
1: <laughs> well and now- really, Sometimes it do, happens. Does that have to do with the, how the actors are telling the story in the space you created?
0: Yeah, and the audience. Oh. I think being in an audience, you think about it differently. Mm-hmm. little experience about being with other people and you're sensing their energy and you're, you're mm-hmm. picking up on things that you know you've seen the play so many times you've read it so many times you've been working on it for so long and like what are they laughing about or mm-hmm. wow i'd never got that line until i heard the audience's reaction towards it um so yeah there's only a few times in my career has it happened but there have been some shows i thought i don't know if that was right Mm. (laughs) it was right um we felt that fine but but i just saw it a completely different
1: different way that's that's yeah, I could. Yeah. I, I mean, I know, you know, as a cast, we talked about this a lot because we just had absolutely no idea what was going to happen when this when Betty got mounted for many different reasons, because it was taking all kinds of risks and just pushing buttons in all different ways, shapes and forms. So that was clearly um, a, a case of stepping out on the high dive and just, yeah, you know, do the trick and then see whether the pool of water is there or not, you know? Yeah. And it was different every night too. But I, but I did feel consistently like the set was just always like, that That was one of the constants that was just really important to being able to play that show the same way and have a different response every night, having things constant.
0: Right, sure. Absolutely.
1: And so many tricks that worked,
0: right?
1: you know? Um, over the last, you know, since you've been teaching quite, quite for so many different um, universities over the years, Is there an aspect of what's changed in sort of scenic design, whether it be projections or media or that you feel is been a, been, been a good addition to the, to the scenic design discussion? Yeah,
0: I, of course, technology and it's, and the way we visualize things now, and the way that we create designs now, um, the technologies is rapidly changing, um, obviously the last twenty years, and and so well, I was trained everything by hand, drafting, paint elevations, making model, everything you did with your hands, and eighty <laughs> percent. No, ninety percent of my graduate education was drawing, drafting, mm-hmm. doing things by hand. Of course, we're moving away from that. Obviously, well, we're moved away almost completely from that. Um, and so, and I've been like, teaching as this has been evolving and trying to keep up with it myself. And I, and I think the biggest challenge. Not a challenge, I think what I've, I think I'm doing a fairly good job at is teaching what's essential about design. And as the tools around us change, you still have that essential way of thinking about theater, storytelling, the design elements, the principles of design, composition. That's the essential thing. That's the through line over the last 20 years that I've been doing this. And, every, and and then Vectorworks and AutoCAD and SketchUp and Photoshop and Procreate and all of the technical tools to do this are swirling around this thing that you're trying to keep essential and you're trying to teach that one thing. Because it, it's going to continue to change. And I think it's, And I think it's good. I think it helps. It's unlocking and unleashing in students Better ways to think about design. If they have tools that can help them, help them get there. So not being able to draw isn't a barrier to being a costume designer or a scene mm-hmm. designer. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think, I mean, that's not essential. It, it's it's essential. It's essential for me, and that's another thing, another story. But uh, it's if you can still understand. Your part in the storytelling process—that is most essential. Then all of these other tools that are wrapped around it, um, you know, that's great. That's great. I think it's um, it's a it's a good thing. And uh, and not being able to have a facility with some type of you know art instrument can keep you from creating and designing for the theater. Um, So I kind of seen that as, as a way to, to keep thinking about design and keep moving forward with it. I did things by hand for so long and I still do things by hand because that's how I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For me, drawing is thinking. process of drawing the lines and doing the perspective and shading the, the chiaroscuro, that for me, that's designing. So and it, it, it's really hard to teach that as a design process these days, you know, it's almost unnecessary in some ways, um, just because, you know, they're going to go right to Vectorworks and Photoshop <laughs> and that's the, that's the tools they're all being taught. And yeah, I still teach, I still teach. You, drawing. you still have
1: it. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: Still do it by hand. I, you know, I still think you should learn it by hand at least a semester. <laughs> and then, uh, then we can go and have fun with Photoshop and everything. But
1: for the reason you pointed out, right? For you, it's a, a way of thinking through an idea or a concept, yeah. and in a way that you know, maybe reading a book that's bound as opposed to reading something on a computer, Kindle, reading a paper. You know,
0: right.
1: who knows what it's firing up in the brain? Do you see a difference in um, sort of the uh, the students that are coming in? Have you over the years seen, seen sort of differences in maybe the background or the, the skills? Are oh, they different well, now? You're, are you getting more you know, yeah, computer uh, savvy people? Yeah,
0: a lot of students are still open to doing it by hand and learning to draw uh, and paint by hand. They're still very open to it. I, I think when you're young and you're thinking about designing in the theater, I think it does matter how you start off. I think I have seen students who have had, you know, there's a program called SketchUp, and any scene designers out there, lighting designers, know what this is. Um, it's a very um, quick, easy to use and efficient uh, 3D modeling program. It used to be free; it was free, mm-hmm. and I I, I do. I do. I can tell if a student has designed something with just the computer or if they started it by hand. Um, there is a certain type of computer thinking I've seen throughout the years. Um, there is a certain amount of problem solving, maybe letting the machine do a little problem solving for you, which is fine, That's what they're there for. Um, and, and yes, I do see, um, I see that some of the uh, software that is used is um you can't i mean students can't get their hands on some of it's just too expensive some of it's um you know it costs money to have a laptop and software um it's a lot cheaper to get a pencil and paper <laughs> and explore your ideas that way um so i see all kinds actually i, I, I obviously there are more students coming you know coming in with, with playing around with Sketchup and um, you know doing things on the computer, I I, I I do think it changes the way they think about design a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're when you're drawing uh, initially for a design, does it does it take you to places in your mind that that intersect with character and the use of the space that? I mean, I'm not, which is not to say that that couldn't happen when you're using a computer program, but I wonder if that act of, of drawing it out, you know, ignites some kind of feeling that is dimensional and it's, you know, in the, in the emotional color that it, that it, and the ideas that it might give you for, for further vetting out that idea.
0: Yes. Drawing by hand slows my brain down. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, you know, when you're, Playing around on the on the computer, and you're playing with SketchUp or you're modeling in VectorWorks, you can go real fast, and things happen fast. Like, oh, there's the archway that I wanted. Click, click, click. Um, now let's move on to the doors. Click, click, click. There's my door. I I pull one off, off. You know, I find one online, and I and you're drawing it by hand. You just you have to slow down a little bit you have to draw that door and then you think about the door and you think about well that's a boring home depot looking door is that door right for this world i am t- there's like a conversation mm-hmm. i'm having with myself i'm talking to myself as i'm doing it mm-hmm. and then i can do the arc and i can say yeah, nah, nah, and then i can erase it and make it a little more dramatic or maybe now it's a gothic arch so for me it it that's what i meant by drawing is designing it's doesn't let me it doesn't immediately give me gratification and here's your design you did it in five minutes look at it Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: and it's very exact and changes you know so Mm -hmm. because i know that conversation you can just see a little bit of them but the doors the purple one the pink one the green one they they were descending in their width we talked about Uh and you had talked about another way to add and i think they're actually they're louvered, but one of them's not, I mean, they were different each one of them. And then you had, you know, you designed them such that each one had some bad beach decoration, you know, Uh, and it was a little bit like, you know, the price is right, the three doors, but another way of getting um, and just really making it fun for the actors. It's also another way for us to remember what we're going in and out of each time, Yes, the green door, the pink door. Um, And in a lot of ways it's your typical farce set, you know, yeah, a lot of doors. So. Yeah, and slamming—that's always the, you know, the challenge. Will it? Will it? Will it? You know, will it hold up? Um, I, I wonder about um, when you're designing for a show. At what point, or or ever, does video tend to come into it, or some kind of other um, design element that's not simply Mm-hmm. interior uh, is that a, generally a director
0: request
1: yeah. or it comes out early in the conversation yeah hopefully
0: hopefully things like projections or you know specific sound you know is it live sound is it you know sound effects where are they coming from hopefully that stuff is is as i know when i'm going into design is there mm-hmm. i'm sure as i've designed and i thought someone's probably going to mention projections at this point.
1: Right. It's not something you're going to add in at the end. Cause it's probably the main, do you, right. do you enjoy working with projections?
0: Yeah. I have a, I have a. Interesting relationship with them. Um, I feel like. First of all, it's just, it's just hard for me to, to do that. I think if, if I'm doing, I've done many shows with projections and. It's like, is the set going to be a giant projection screen itself? Is there an element on the wall that we're projecting on? Is the projection screen apart from the world that we're in? Um, and it's and I and I'm also very ignorant about it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I know the basics of it uh, and what you need to do with it. So I kind of I feel like I play well with projections. I feel like if if people if it's going to be a part of what we're going to do and the director wants to do it we've got good people doing it um i'm all for it uh uh and you know it's 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 the new design it's the new uh you know it's 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 its own animal now and it's gotten so far away from me and its technical aspects that it's pure aesthetics for me it's like how I don't want to hear any technical stuff because I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But how is it going to move our story? Forward? The
1: story forward. Yeah. How is mm-hmm. it going to
0: be? How am I integrating that? Do you even need me? Mm-hmm. You know, is it? So there's a. It's it's an intriguing mm-hmm. aspect. I've done it many times, um, and I hope to hope to work with them again.
1: And in the program that you're, you know, that you're teaching in the media and design um, program at, uh, at uh, Rowan, how has the last year of, I mean, that's a sh- short period of time to integrate anything, but uh, let me phrase it. Do you think that the last year of experimentation on Zoom and whatnot is going to feed its way into classes, to, to studies and teaching how to use this virtual platform or, or, and and I guess, how do you I, I yeah about I that? I, I, we
0: used it very well uh, last year. Uh, we had some great productions uh, on Zoom. Um, we actually did one dance piece where there were separate dancers uh, that were filmed each evening and then it was uh, put together and edited. And then of course um, shown Virtually, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think every I think every every one of our faculty members were were had different opinions about all of this and how it could be uh, integrated. Uh, as you might imagine, at first, everybody was like, "This is terrible. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do anything on Zoom." And you know, it just became the reality that to keep us working and thinking and creating, we use this platform. We're gonna do it and mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. Um, and I don't know, I don't feel like our faculty and I don't feel like, or even myself, I don't feel like we, we, we are going to be using Zoom <laughs> uh, in that way as of right now, I don't feel that way. I don't, um, our, you know, I don't, we're looking ahead and we're not looking towards doing much on this platform I think there'll be space for it. Mm-hmm. I think there will be room set aside for those who want to explore it, um, faculty or students. Um, I know teaching on it. Um, I actually felt like I became pretty adept <laughs> so mm-hmm. on how to how to use this. Um, of course, nothing beats you know them in the classroom with me using the tools um but I you know just how to use the technology and 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 share the screen and set up my webcam and all of that I started to get really good at it Mm -hmm. and I you know who knows you know maybe at some point in this in this in the future we'll be offering you know if you could do that sort of thing you could be offering it to students that are away or yeah
1: well and it's also to connect with students in other countries or i have a friend that teaches fashion you know fashion illustration and Mm -hmm. was teaching to students in china and in japan and different time zones and whatnot but she yeah the story is about trying to to understand how to teach draw you know fashion illustration Mm -hmm. with a model you know just sounded like but in the end you know like wow! I I did that. We did that. We we you know we we made it. We made it happen. Yeah,
0: um, we did. And I think I think they I think they're still with us. Hopefully, students are <laughs> still ready to go. I think we, we we held on to them. I hope long enough. That yeah.
1: They, they well, I think s- certain yeah bonds were created and and different you know connections were made that were. Uh, born out of the necessity of what what had to happen and right. studying it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a like a favorite author? So when a director calls you and says, you know, Lane calls you and says, we're doing Shepherd, you know, um, do you do you think, oh, this is, you know, are there certain yeah. authors you live for?
0: Yeah. I love to do Shakespeare. I think I love to design Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was very excited when Lane asked me about Shepard. I have to admit. Yeah, um, I just I, I haven't gotten to design a shepherd um, and it was uh, yeah I was pretty happy about that and but, I really jumped, jumped straight into it um, and uh, you know I really felt in some ways I felt I connected with those people and that lifestyle and those that way of talking mm-hmm. um, not too foreign from you know my my realm I don't have any really um specific playwrights that i you know particularly i particularly like or think i wish you know i wish someone would do a mammoth or you know, um <laughs> yeah i
1: yeah. do love pinter mm-hmm. pinter's works i um i can uh, see I that being a, a fit for you know, yeah. not that you're a minimalist designer, but I could see that the, the extraordinary challenges in designing, say Beckett or right. you know Pinter. Yeah. Although well, not as um
0: uh, but yeah, I don't I'd love to do one day, you know, a, a real big budget glass menagerie. That's always been
1: mm-hmm. do you like the sort of real like Tennessee Williams interior it seemed to me like you you would in, you know like that would be right up your alley doing oh, a streetcar yeah. or doing a yes yeah
0: I guess I would that is one thing I'd like I would advertise mm-hmm. someone asked me to do a, a, an epic Tennessee Williams um, yeah
1: yeah well the one the I'm hoping was so what's that the
0: space is just so poetic the space mm-hmm. is it's it's not real mm-hmm. even though Tennessee you know Tennessee Williams tells you it's not real But as an audience member, you come in and you're looking at something you think is real, um, but it's pure, pure physical poetry, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I do hope that production of the two character play, we can, we can get up in the space. I know we had talked initially about you know, you're designing it in, in the Bethany Mission, which pre- presents its own set of u- interesting and unique challenges and energies from the art that's there as well. And I guess designing something like that there versus a space like, you know, a, a space at the Drake or at the Walnut or a space that's, a, that's four walls is a, you know, what do you think about found spaces just in terms of as a designer, Does are those challenges that are ones that you i mean do you I, look forward to that yeah I, I mean
0: i uh i think if the, the, it doesn't bug me the thing that i think becomes an issue sometimes is i wonder why a specific play was chosen for this specific venue oh uh, uh, yeah mm-hmm. you know doing it in a found space uh, you know it, we can make theater anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, yeah, there's sometimes
1: it's like, well, this play calls for yeah,
0: something right. that you can't... Like
1: two-character play. They're in a, what, a rundown roadhouse somewhere because they're on their 59th tour of yeah. the play that no one's showing up to. Right, right, You know, and so, yeah, I can see that, that, that if you walk into a pretty pristine setting... <laughs> right, right. And then you got to try to pull it back from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or how the how, how
0: the, the the company wants to integrate sometimes you are in a space it's like well this is the space we have but let's not say we're in this space at all like we're gonna put masking up and we're like we want to mm-hmm. hide the fact that we're in the theater or do you integrate the space so um, I think you know I just think all the, all those choices that are made um, in relation to the space that you know someone's going to be in I'll, I'll help
1: facilitate
0: it you know make it work for everybody
1: have you interest in designing for opera i mean like continue you know as as, as your life as your design life goes on
0: i've designed a lot of operas for universities mm-hmm. um, in fact one of my first jobs out of grad school i started designing for temple opera <clears throat> and did quite a number of shows with them, um, and then I um, met a director uh, at Temple University who um, eventually went on to University of Memphis and then Lawrence University, and I've gone to both of those universities, kind of following him around, and have designed operas uh, there also. Um, and then, of course, the very first show I ever designed was an opera, um, small scale. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I love designing for opera. Just, just love it. Your design For me, it's you're designing music in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, there's a story there. Yes, there's a setting that needs to be appropriate to the story that we're watching on stage. But you're designing music. You're really trying to, there's that other magical, hard to do, maybe never able to do realm of how do you make the design integrate with music? Um, and it's a mystery and I don't know if I've ever achieved it, but I like trying.
1: <laughs> mm. And so the task is a little bit, well, you're still integrating for the story and the story mm. that the singers are telling, but is it, I guess, slightly different because their actions and the way that they move through that space is very different.
0: Sure. Music, music is the main force of the storytelling in opera mm-hmm. for me. music is is another set of dialogue it's another it's another theme of the story um it's not just people singing a story the music is part of the story um so you know i i I spent a lot of time listening to an opera before i designed it maybe not even really understanding the story yet or reading a synopsis and just listening to the music like what's this music saying what's it doing and that's like it's the hardest thing in the world and I don't mm-hmm. and I really rely on on you know opera directors um are fascinating and the way that they understand the music and the story is like I don't know how they do it but um so I, I rely on you know them like am I even in the right direction it's, um but I just like it because it's You know, it's it really is like I always say my catchphrase: "It's better than real."
1: Mm -hmm. um, Opera is that better than real? Do you um, do sketch when you listen to the opera?
0: Eh, Sometimes, sometimes I just sometimes I just like what am I thinking? Google an image or Uh you know, or a little bit on the history of it, and like oh, what you know this the the composer lived through this thing in their life. What was that? Um, uh, how does like? Why is the? What's this motif in the in the in the in the music? Like, what is that representing to the to the character that's singing that particular part? So yeah, I uh, sometimes I'll do a little sketching. Sometimes I kind of just, just want to listen to it.
1: Sounds a little bit like the process of how you got, you know, from your journey as a as a child to where you got to. Is it just a lot like? designing your life I mean you it's just you know you you sketched it out and it sort of went this way and then it which is is a really is a really fascinating way of pursuing it you know whether whether you knew you were doing that at the time or not but it also sounds like you were following you know following your instincts and not stepping too far ahead of the next act you know
0: I never thought of it that way it's true I just kind of I kind of just sketched my life as <laughs> it went along. Yeah. I was, went what, I was that way and then it went that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's so great. I, I forget what I was reading the other day. It was something where they talked to people. If, if your 40 year old self could talk back to your 40 year old self, could talk back to your 20 year old self, mm-hmm. what advice would you give it? And they talked to entrepreneurs and, you know, people running companies of all different sizes, shapes, and forms. And one of the big themes that came out was to not plan so much um or to be willing to take that plan and be flexible Mm -hmm. if the river goes a different direction and to not be afraid of that to think that the plan isn't going to necessarily deliver you to the you know the destination that you're that you're hoping and it was it was kind of a theme that kept coming up from so many people along the way so
0: yeah that's true i think that's what i did i think i just kept it flexible like
1: yeah things can change Things can yeah.
0: morph into other things, just let it happen, you
1: know. And allow the, because they were, you know, s- speaking a lot about just like letting the space for the creativity mm-hmm. to kind of, the, po- the perhaps the better solution to the situation to, to bubble up. And sometimes when you're just single-handedly on that road and to wherever you think you're going, you're not, you know, yeah. Well, Dirk, it's been just really my pleasure to talk to you uh, and to catch up with you, um, hear about your work, and I, I hope that, um, there, that I hope there's plans for lanes. Uh, and I, I say, keep saying lane, Lane Savadov of Igo Poe Classic Theater. I, I hope that this production, your production, is because uh, where were you in in the in in the process when when the pandemic happened?
0: Oh, the set was built and loaded in.
1: And did you had seen you had you had some run right you were close
0: yes we had a designer run um, it, there was still a ways to go but the set had been loaded in there was still painting and set dressing to happen to take place and um,
1: this is Shepard's uh, Curse of the Starving Curse of the Starving Class
0: and then it shut down everything shut down um, literally a couple of days and we knew it so the designer run was kind of a um, Mm. Way of farewell, but also, uh, which we did you probably thought you were, we're coming
1: going. back pretty quickly, right?
0: <laughs> and hopefully, we're going to come back with it.
1: Yes, I hope so. Me too. <laughs> yeah, lots of that must have been a hard, hard night, and particularly since we had no idea of knowing what we know now. So, you know, mm-hmm. thinking that maybe it was just a, a short hiatus and. Well, I hope that's the case. I certainly um, want to see your work, and I hope that as these as theatrical goalposts keep changing on us, that Tennessee Williams' the two-character play can happen at a time when you're available and we're <laughs> available, and the space exists, and and we can make it happen.
0: I'm I'm ready.
1: Yeah, me I'm too, ready, John. Second, I keep talking about it. We're like it just keeps it keeps moving a little bit further out, but the time will present itself, and we'll make it happen. And until then, I look forward to. seeing your work best of luck with uh studies and and activity over at rowan and all the freelance projects that you're working on and thanks for all that you're doing for philadelphia theater thank you yeah take care all right thanks And thanks to everybody for being with us. So nice of you to join us back here at the table after our hiatus. We will be back next week, and I'm going to tell you who's going to be on. It's Lisa Grunberger. She's an author, she's a Pushcart nominee, and she is a Temple University professor. Her work has appeared in a variety of publications, including the New York Times. She has a play about motherhood, infertility, assisted reproductive technologies, called Almost Pregnant, and it is currently under artistic development at Squeaky Bicycle Theater Company in New York City, and is published by Smith Scripps. She teaches narrative medicine and yoga and writing at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine. And when she's not being a mom, a professor, and a poet, she teaches yoga and writing workshops at the Healing Arts Center in Philadelphia. And She's currently working on her memoir entitled Spit, a Jewish adopted woman's reckoning With her refugee origins. So I hope that you'll join us when Dr. Lisa Grinberger joins us on next week's show. Wishing you all a very, very happy and relaxing week ahead. And we hope to see you at the table next Saturday, August the 7th with Dr. Lisa Grinberger. Have a great week ahead.